how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. Make sure to also check out Freelancer Class, where you can learn how to become a freelancer full-time or part-time. The online course will teach you how to make money online as a writer, marketer, designer, virtual assistant, accountant, or salesperson. Stay tuned after the show to learn how to get access for free to this $99 valued freelancer course, along with some other free items on our website, creativeprinciples.live. In Ozark, a financial advisor drags his family from Chicago to the Missouri Ozarks, where he must launder $500 million in five years to appease a drug boss. The Netflix series just came out with season two, which also stars Jason Bateman and Laura Linney. In this exclusive interview, screenwriter and producer Allison Feltz discusses her role in the series, the Ozarks as a setting, the importance of avoiding television tropes, how intimacy can save a character, and she also gives a few details about an upcoming project based on the memoirs of Chelsea Clinton. In addition to the audio format of this interview, the print interview for this conversation is available on Creative Screenwriting Magazine's website. I think I try to be muscular. You know, I mean, I identify in the first pilots that are sent to me, you know, the muscularity of it, and then try to figure out where my my talents might help support the material. So if I, if, it, if it's muscular in a way that, you know, isn't my go-to writing style, I start looking at the characters, for instance, and can I bring anything to, you know, that's unique to a particular character that's been set up um, by the original writer in those cases. How much of uh, the episodes that you've written are you, and uh, how much do you have to focus on the overall vision? Well, it really depends if it's mine or someone else's. So in Canada, I co-ran series, and in South Africa, I ran an, you know, an international series between uh, CBC and SABC. Mm -hmm. And there I gave myself all the leeway in the world, yeah. you know, within the parameters of what we sold to the broadcaster. And obviously in conjunction or in consultation with uh, executives. So you always need to present um, what your, you know, your vision for the show. Mm -hmm. And in the case of Ozark and Mental, those were presented by the showrunner to mm -hmm. the studio and to the network. Mm -hmm. And our job in, in the case of Ozark is to, is to support that vision and, and bring, bring ideas to the table in the writer's room. But, but there isn't a lot of leeway, really. Okay. You know, and, 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 and because we're shooting, because we're writing to such a schedule and shooting um, at such a pace, 
you know, anybody who does television knows that scripts are just eaten up by production. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't stray because what you're effectively doing in that case is forcing your head writer or your showrunner to rewrite you. You know, which you don't want. So in these days of uh, of TV writing and diversity and the inclusion of women, is there such a thing as a woman's voice, or is that an academic question? I think there is a woman's voice, and I, you know, I, I really do. I mean, I certainly feel that my voice was very much heard in the room at Ozark, mm-hmm. um, in particular, because there were things that I, you know, that were unique experiences of mine mm-hmm. as a woman that I brought, mm-hmm. as a mother that I brought, um, that, you know, shifted some way that Wendy Bird might say something or how she might react to something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm certainly drawn to developing those characters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, you know, trying to find a way, for instance, to, to disempower Ruth. Well, why don't we make her terrified of water? Mm-hmm. And if we did that, you know, one of the things that I learned for it, this is a for instance, and I don't know particularly if this is a female point of view, but I certainly tried to skew it towards the female because it was my own experience. Um, you know, in in the northern lakes in Canada where I would go in the summer, you know, one of the ways that you could tease somebody or trick somebody is to swim underneath the dock mm-hmm. and there would be a pocket of air there. And so you could wait there until someone walked down the dock, and either you would spit water up through the glass and squirt their legs, or you'd kick <laughs> on their feet as they went by. I mean, terrified, as you can imagine. But also, if you were scared of water and scared you were going to drown and felt it when you'd just been, you know, hurt in some way, um, I realize I don't want to give all the spoilers of the series to but, um, you know, it, Just a quick question about your experiences in Canada. Uh, how did you deal with issues of uh, cultural differences? Cultural differences with the United States, for instance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're not great. Yeah, okay. But, you know, and some of them are subtle. It really depends what you're writing. In the law show that I co-created and ran for two seasons, um, we knew we knew that it was going to be difficult because, of course, the you know the legal system in Canada you know mirrors the British one, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and and you kind of sort of suck it up and say, well, you know, we're different. Um, and that's a great thing. <laughs> and it's a great thing in some ways, but but also you know it it, it often will affect. What, what feed you get? I mean, the show in particular, not my feed, but, you know, so if, if a broadcaster is saying, well, you know what, this this may sell to the Commonwealth countries, mm-hmm. because, you know, Australia and we, you know, have similar systems. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the idea of lords and ladies and, and um, just isn't going to fly south of the border, so we've just lost a huge market. Mm-hmm. So the budget for this show can only be X instead of X plus 2 million, mm-hmm. you know? 
and that changes the way you write. And, you know, uh, you can't have suddenly, you know, Judge exits office and steps down the stairs and is blown up by, you know, a flying saucer. <laughs> you know, your, your line producer and the, you know, you can't do that. He gets, he gets in his, he gets in his mid-level car and drives home without incident. Yeah, you know? but um, <laughs> what you're doing is you're balancing practical, practicalities and parameters with storytelling and it really speaks to the fluidity of the story, uh, and I don't see it as a problem, but uh, it's practically well, I, think, I think smaller. I think growing up on smaller budgets, you know, in terms of my professional career, growing up on smaller budgets forces one forced me to be more creative and more intimate. I think, you know, there was nothing to fall back on that could get me out of, uh, you know. A, a tense emotional situation was not going to be broken by an explosion. I needed to find something else that gave the audience relief from the discomfort of that intimacy. You know what I mean? Isaac is ostensibly a drug-type story. Uh, how do you make a familiar concept unique, exciting? Situation, and uh, we, uh, we keep we keep our families together. Um, yep. And Ozark, talk about the importance of the locale in in the in the series, and uh, how it almost becomes its own character. Well, I mean, it's fascinating because it's 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 both southern in some ways mm -hmm. and midwestern in its in its values, mm -hmm. too, and 
the, the rural nature of it, the taking this family that's urban, urban, Chicago, mm-hmm. you know, born in that family, and, and putting them in this place where, you know, you have to be careful to not hit a deer crossing the road. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, forget about a drive-by shooting. You don't want antlers through your windshield. Um, and that was really necessary to have them, you know, how the fuck do we have to, oops, sorry, but how do we have, <laughs> how can fit in here? Yeah, yeah. Um, because our clothes suggest urban, our sensibilities, our, our private school backgrounds mm-hmm. make us talk differently than, you know, the kids at Jeff City High School or Lake of the Ozarks High School. Um, so, it, you know, it just, it adds to the tension and, and the difference, you know, when we think about, you know, the difference between a hillbilly and a redneck. Yeah. Where we, where we now live, that can get you killed. Indeed. You know, do not call Darlene Bell a redneck. <laughs> um, and so there's, there's a learning curve. There's a danger in the environment around us. There's a danger in being um, found out. There's a danger coming from the lake in some ways, too. And we try to use that in the sense of, you know, things coming up from underneath it or the possibility of falling in it. I mean, it was very important to us to, to disorient Charlotte mm-hmm. um, last season. You know, here's this good swimmer, and she cannot figure out what light is hers. She is lost. She will drown because it also is cold. Um, yeah, this is this is great, um, and it really alludes to what you're saying. What makes this non-drug story slash drug story unique is its use of those smaller antler type details. Uh, what were some of those first conversations like in terms of what the morals are for the family where, you know, pot might be wrong, but money laundering is okay? And is it set up in a way that you expect their morals to keep changing as they get kind of deeper and deeper into trouble? I th- that's a really interesting question. I mean, we talked about it largely, and I think I thought about it in the writing of it once we've spoken about it as a group, that that there's a core moral, you know, that, that we won't, we, we take a long time to break their moral code, oddly enough, you know, and I think they made a fateful mistake when they decided to take this on, and we get to that in, and they did it for a whole bunch of family-related reasons. Um, and, you know, in these sorts of situations, you know, you're able to keep your ball code because your hands aren't dirty yet. It's someone else who's, who's, who's handling, you know, the, the little brown package and passing it on to the other person, chopping it up to the other person who's selling it. What you're doing is simply taking bills and and finding ways to sort of park them and move them, and eventually the goal is to get them in a bank. You're able to hide behind the notion that a lot of the money that goes, um, you know, and actually these these money launderers lose a whole bunch of money in the washing of it, Mm -hmm. right? Um, 
But also you're able to say, and, and I think this was true of a lot of the deal, and I am not, I just need to say this on the record, I am not advocating for anyone to become a drug dealer. <laughs> I'm not a cartel fan. Um, but, but the reality of it, you know, and the complicated morals that, again, exist outside of you when you're just, when you're just an accountant, um, you know, you look at towns in Colombia that, you know, roads were paved, schools were built, electricity was turned on, all because of the quote-unquote giving back to the community. So if you want to feel, I don't know, if you want to be able to sleep at night, you think about that, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the moral code for our family begins to, sh- begins to shift and waver when things actually hit their hands. So Jason Bateman's character, Marty, he kind of reminded me of uh, Tom Regan from Miller's Crossing when I first saw it. He's willing to get hit in the face because he's got a bigger plan in motion most of the time, or he's got a way to outsmart people. But you've got cartels, low-level criminals that are unpredictable, and now the mob in season two. Have you ever written yourself in a corner? Have you guys ever gotten to a point where you didn't really know what was next, or even with the ending of season two, perhaps? about, you know, um, 
writing ourselves in the corner. We've gotten out of that corner before they start shooting. So I know like years ago when they made uh, the book Fight Club into a movie, they took out certain parts, and money laundering is certainly not, you know, bombs or, or drugs or something like that. But is there anything with, with today's TV landscape where you're worried about putting something in the show that's too accurate or, or anything like that? Do you ever have those decisions in the, in the writer's room? Um, well, we tried to be accurate about money laundering. I mean, none of us really knew much about money laundering. <laughs> you know, we, we actually sort of joked about um, setting up a fake university and laundering money through it, um, just to see if we could. Um, I forget. I think it, I think we called it Inverness University. We we were even hiring professors by then. In our minds, I mean, you know, you need to give yourself a, a laugh in the room, too, as you're dealing with sort of difficult subjects and blowing people's faces up. Um, but, uh, you know, I think in, in one of our episodes, as Marty explains to Jonah, how, how money is laundered, you know, we did try to, um, we did absolutely want to be accurate. I mean, in, we had a legal advisor, we had, you know, uh, FBI advisor, we had um, a lawyer who was actually on the ground in Missouri, you know, specific things about, about state legislation. We talked to all sorts of people in order to be accurate, because what you don't want is for members of your audience to go, I, I just can't watch this anymore. This is absolutely ridiculous. But the other trick on the other side of that, and I've done this in other shows where, where you know, it, it's kind of a litmus test for a writer, I think. And, and what you want to do is be able to push that envelope as far as you can. But you, you're only able to do that if the, if the drama that you're putting in that scene is so engrossing for an audience member that, you know, that they're not going to be able to sit back and detach and go, well, that's not how the law works anywhere. That's a federal statute, not a state law. Ridiculous. You know, they're just not doing their work. Mm -hmm. We want people to just go, oh, I can't believe she said that. Because, you know, because actually none of us ever knew what the actual emergency was in ER when they're yelling for 10 cc's of anything, stat. Mm -hmm. We just know that if you don't get that person what they need right now, they are going to die. And, you know, we don't need to know that it's erythromycin and not penicillin. Unless they're allergic okay. to it. <laughs> <laughs> right. but, but then they'd be allergic to both. And then you can have then the more interesting scene is the fight between the doctors about who's just about to kill the patient. The audience only needs to, needs to know the emotional beats. If this happens, this is the consequence. So, well, and I think, and I can't remember exactly if we have this particular conversation, but you know, who who would Marty talk to to explain money laundering in a way that the you know in a way that the audience would buy? It would have to be Jonah, mm -hmm. because he's not going to be talking to a cartel person or 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 even Ruth. They don't have those conversations. You know, first you put it in the bag, and then you do this, and you mix it with this, and then you jack up the 
price over here and, you know, pretend you're delivering 50 washing machines instead of two. That's not a conversation I bet that either of you could imagine Marty having with Ruth or with anyone other than Jonah. Mm. And he wouldn't have it with Charlotte only because she'd say, fuck off, Dad, I'm listening to music. <laughs> and that's what she would say. Definitely, definitely not in the beginning. He may have told Ruth in season two, but definitely not not when it needed to be there in the story in the beginning. Exactly. 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 Getting an aerial view a, a little bit. What what interests you? Like what, what themes, what topics, what concerns drive you to, to, the, to your laptop? I, you know, I, I love looking at modern families. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a single mom and raised two kids on my own who are both at college in New York, and I feel like the trials and tribulations that we went through to get there, the moving that we did mm-hmm. from country to country to country again, um, informed all of us and our relationships to each other. I like I like unpeeling people's secrets. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got a ton of them that are buried in the stuff that I like. Um, my children appear disguised in a whole bunch of the things that, that I write in different, I mean, you know, some of the stuff that happens to Jonah in mm-hmm. the second season, uh, came out of, you know, and, and, and every, every other writer on the set or every other writer in the room brings these things too. You know, here's my experience of something. And so I, I really enjoy um, watching, you know, the pressures of the world dismantle people and then see how they either succumb or, you know, rise up as the person they were before and, and simply punch back now, or more interestingly to me, how they kind of redefine themselves. Yes, yes. And shift. It's uh, it's the big concept of reaction versus perception, say. Those are interesting to me. That, that, you know, intimacy is really interesting to me. And intimacy in the face of what, you know, because... Because in, in our case, in, in, in Ozark and in some of the things that I'm working on now, um, in the off hour, or in the, you know, we're not, we're not writing or shooting now. And, I'm, and I, the reason I was late actually talking to you was I was signing start, work, start paperwork on something that I needed to get in. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, you know, the, in, intimacy can save you. Yes. Letting go of a secret at a crucial time can save you. Um, doubling down on a secret at a certain time can save you. You know, or the secrets that you have may make you go places and find out things that you never would before. And getting caught is exciting. Um, you know? And mining your inner strength is like, I didn't know I could do oh, that. Yeah. Where, where the hell did that come oh. from? <laughs> Um, and you know you'll see you'll see a bunch of times in both season one and season two of Ozark, and in something that I'm that I'm writing right now um, for Chelsea Clinton, in fact, based on her books, is is very much um, you know inner strength, you know stories of kind of embattlement, mm-hmm. and then 
what one needs to draw on to to overcome that, to either, you know, and, and like I was saying, not just bend it to your will, but to stand and sort of face it head on and go, oh, there you are. Boy, you're, boy, you're a tall wall for me to try and climb up. Mm, mm, how am I, I going to do that? So do I call to that person on that side and say, if you just, you know, if you lift me up and I put my hand in that crack, mm-hmm. then maybe I can get, you know, that sort of thing. Well, and the, more, and the most interesting thing, too, is to, is to look at someone who you haven't spoken to in 40 years because you hate their guts. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, or they called you fat when you were a child. And turn to them and say, the only way we're going to get through this is to get through this together. And, you know, that's the network version, right, mm-hmm. of, of overcoming an obstacle. But, you know, and the Netflix version is going to be different but equally interesting. <laughs> yeah, Alice and the Philosopher. How would you describe the, um, the current TV landscape in terms of themes, topics, characters, plots? Is there kind of a general barometer of where you see things today? Well, as a, as a writer, uh, this is the most exciting time I never thought I'd be in. Who would have imagined? I, you know, when, when I first started, I could never imagine the, the breadth of stories that are available to tell. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like I feel like I'm making mini movies all the time. You know, the, the, the production values are fantastic and the caliber of acting you get demands that your writing rise too. And that's and and it's so exciting. It really is. It's amazing. Um, the only and pitch. people wanna people wanna hear interesting pitches. Mm, mm, mm. And the only thing that's holding us down is our sheer mental capacity. We only have so much bandwidth for the breadth of stories. That's a good problem to have. That's right. That's right. And I think, you know, in our current political climate here, so many of us are just weary and exhausted and frightened all the time that, you know, getting away, that that fantasy, that, that, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't go in myself to a... To any buyer, any potential buyer, and 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 maybe it's because I don't have the imagination, or maybe you know, I'm just speaking for myself. I am so exhausted and frightened mm-hmm. that I cannot imagine immersing myself in it's in in another West Wing thing. And that was such a fantastic show, but that was at a time where people felt very differently about politics. I think. Yeah, that mutual respect across the aisle. Right? Yeah, yeah. Now there is no aisle. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So what, how does does a film or TV writer today, how do they stay relevant? How do they stay in the game? What do they need? Well, I think think you need to read a ton. You Mm. need to participate in things. I think it's really hard if you... If your tendency is to be isolated, I mean, you can hand in, you know, from from the smallest island in, you know, in outside of Vancouver, 
you know, from a TV tab, and you can hand in the most brilliant script in the world. Mm-hmm. But people need to see you and talk to you. You need to come in not just with that brilliant pilot script, mm-hmm. but you need to know not, you know, again, not just what episode two and three of that season are. You need to know what season two and what season three are. You need to know character arts for all your main characters. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to talk to people comfortably about those things. So you need to you need to very much exist in the world. Um, okay. If you see what I mean. And, and participate in as many, I mean, if I, and I'm thinking about this now, except I don't know where I'm going to be in the next 10 months. But, you know, there's a friend of mine who started a writer's group up in Malibu. And there are novelists Mm-hmm. journalist it's not just you know television writers sitting around saying I love your show <laughs> these are these are people who read their work um, you know serious work um, for comments and collaboration and discussion and things like that are very useful because then you meet people who suddenly say you know what I know the head of blah 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 at X studio. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, is it okay if I give him your phone number or her your phone number? Mm-hmm. And suddenly things start to happen. So, you know, I think writers need to remember that it that television writing certainly is extremely collaborative. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you need to walk before you run. So you could have the greatest idea in the world and execute a script you know, beyond Aaron Sorkin, <laughs> and it's not going to get, and, and you are not going to make it. You are not going to be the showrunner mm-hmm. because the whole machine needs to be fed by a whole bunch of people who are who you'll find are equally as smart as you are. And the idea, for instance, that your main character, who shines so brightly as a pilot, you who've written, can sustain. 10 or 20 or 50 or 60 episodes, mm-hmm. mm, you, you got to think that through and, and, and realize, wow, there needs to be a supporting cast here. You know, I can't just use this and say, aren't I smart? That's not what you want to do. You want to get it made. Mm-hmm. I'm viewing storytellers as a whole as having a greater role in, in society right now than simply entertaining how do you feel about that statement, and how do you think uh, our role is in shaping society? I disagree, actually, surprisingly enough. All right. I mean, I, I, I think I think we should reflect the state of the world and, and in the mouth of our characters have them ask questions that we might be asking. Yeah. But, but I think it's really dangerous to write in order to influence as opposed to writing to entertain. You know, we can write in order to enlighten a little bit yep, if yep, that's yep. what we want to do. But it's always got to come through your characters because, you know, you're, otherwise you're writing either a public service announcement yep, yep, or yep. Some, er, some earnest little thing that only one small, tiny segment of the society is mm-hmm. going to watch. Don't be preachy. I like it. <laughs> well, yeah, and honestly... You know, my kids, my my teenage children changed the way I presented what I presented to Chelsea Clinton, mm-hmm. you know, as an adaptation of her books. Mm-hmm. Because they said, you know, Mom, you're a middle-aged woman. Don't you be telling our generation 
that if we just try enough, try hard enough, that things will be okay. Okay. Your your generation has made things pretty not okay for us. Yes. So don't just try, you know. And they were really firm and harsh. And at first, I was sort of like, back off, kids. But then I thought, you know what? They're right. If I if if there's something that isn't changed about how how I structure these episodes, then the audience we're going for is never going to watch. Yes, yes. And so in a weird way, so, so in that sense, it was the awareness of other people about the state of the world and who's talking about it that changed the way I wrote about it. Yeah, yeah. In many respects, we're conduits. We're not... Um, totally. Uh, yeah. Okay. And, you know, we have, we have elected officials, for better or worse, to do to do that job, to do the job of shaping and yeah. changing. I love the way you disagreed with me so strongly. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know what? I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to trust me. Well, I would, of course, if this was some sort of a, you know, fabulous. I, I could be the Tsarina of the United States if there if there was such a thing, and everybody would listen to me. But that's thank God that's not the way we work. I, I love the way that uh, Laura Linney's character ended up. Was that always, without giving too much away, was that always kind of the idea that, you know, Marty has an idea about all these evils, but he doesn't expect this this other minor deceit, I guess you would say? Yes. You know, um, I think I think from, from the outset, and, and certainly once we cast, you know, Laura, who is just a gem and a brilliant actor you know once we had her that was one of those cases where you say oh better step up you know and 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 really pay attention to the development of that character because Laura's worthy and the character of Wendy Bird is worthy too all right so that was the plan very early on Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter where you also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online, which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset, step two, how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, you'll get access to the ebook How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.